Colossians 2, is again, is where we turn, looking at the last part of that death, burial, and resurrection formula that is present here in these verses, uh, verses 10 and 11 and 12, and then repeated in the next few verses as well, from a little different perspective that we'll look at as we go forward. But this passage refers to the resurrection. Now, the resurrection here is not so much the physical body resurrection, but a spiritual resurrection, that which has happened already for those who put their faith in the Lord. Remember, the context of this passage in in Colossians 2 is addressing or encouraging, bolstering the faith of the church in Colossae, not to be distracted, not to turn aside to what sounds like pretty impressive argument. Boy, where'd you get all that? That's really neat, all what these false teachers are doing. But it was leading them away from devotion to Christ. He says, watch out, be on your guard for those who would lead you away from the, as he says in 2 Corinthians, from the simplicity of devotion to Christ. So in verse 8, and I'll read through verse 15, it's in that context of encouraging people to, to lay hold of and keep hold of Christ. Verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and into deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in him you have been filled. And, or who is the head over all rule and authority, in whom you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh, in the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead." And you, being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has also taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them in him. We have looked so much about the the uh, wonderful realities of Christ's love and affection toward us, giving his own body for us. He died in our place, and he says, back up a little bit more, he says, you have been buried, well, first of all, verse 10, excuse me, verse 11, he said, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That is the parallel passage in Romans 6, uh, or parallel idea where Paul develops this idea, is um, speaking of our death, that we have died in Christ, that we have not just a a, a physical resurrection to look forward to, but a real death and a burial and resurrection with, with Jesus. He says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So as Christ was raised from the uh, dead through the glory of the Father, so we, all, so we too might walk in newness of life. And that's Romans 6 and verse 4. This idea of circumcision is the idea of taking away the body of sin, not just a piece of skin, piece of the flesh, but the whole body is gone. The whole body of the flesh is gone. Now that, of course, argues against, well, why should we still be slaves of our body? Why should we still give in to our, you know, to the desires of the flesh and the lusts of the flesh and all these things that, that lead us away from Christ? No, that, that body has, has been dead. It's killed. Don't walk in that any further. And Romans 6 develops that idea. 
verse 12 introduces the concept of or, or extends that concept because of our union with Christ, because his death is our death, because his burial is our burial, because his resurrection is our, our resurrection, then we say, well, this is a, a true thing about me. I am no longer my own person. I'm no longer the one who is just... My only option is to sin. My only option is to, uh, you know, give full event to my pleasures. No, you've been buried with him. It's not enough to have died. Also, you've been buried. The separation is there, which again, Romans 6 would, would develop that idea. You've been buried with him. Don't regard that, uh, that body as, as something that is still with you. Although, if you were to look at the end of Romans 7, he says, who will set me free from the body of this death? There is, there's, there's that tension between something that is accomplished in our lives, the what you might call the indicatives or the the the, the plain statements of fact about our our uh, position in Christ, but then there's the reality of it in, in terms of daily practice. I know I have, I'm dead to sin, and yet, man, who will set me free from the body of this death? Why do I still want to? Uh, spew out violent speech, vile speech, Ephesians 4. This is a paraphrase. Now that you can use this paraphrase, it's pretty good. Uh, you ever have rotten watermelon? You don't really like water, rotten watermelon. Well, the idea of rotten watermelon, don't let any unwholesome speech or unfruitful or rotten watermelon speech. I mean, you just wouldn't do that. Don't let any unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only gracious, life-giving words uh, that will give grace to those who hear according to the need of the moment. Well, that's different. That's not a fleshly response. That is a spiritual response. That is a, a spirit-filled response. You might want to answer in anger, but how are you going to? You know, he says earlier in that passage, Ephesians 4, that don't, uh, in your anger, don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down your anger. Well, how are we supposed to use our anger? Anger is a power, uh, an energy to solve a problem. The problem with anger, though, is we usually make the problem bigger because we don't address the issue. The point being is, we normally, naturally, in the flesh, respond in ways that are not honoring to God. But we can regard ourselves as buried. We, we've buried that old man. We're, we're not subject to that, those rules any longer. The rules of always for myself and, and responding in, uh, in, with greed. We're going to see this in, in Colossians 3. Uh, jealousy and rage and all these kind of things. No, we, that's, that's dead and gone. Why do we still do it then? Because we still have this body of flesh around us. We, we're still living in the, in the body, and the body has its old uh, desires and old habits of thought and, and, and deed. And we need to remem remind ourselves, no, I have died to that. I, that old man is, is buried. I am raised up to walk in newness of life. Uh, Romans uh, 6 and verse uh, four said we might walk in newness of life new life we have in christ well he says here uh, this baptism and we talked last time it's not water baptism he's talking about so much it is that idea of identity or immersion right into into jesus himself i think it's first corinthians 10 is it where the israelites were said that they were they went through the the water and so forth and they were baptized into moses well wait a minute they weren't you know moses that going through the Red Sea, they didn't go through water, right? It was dry ground. So we're not talking about water baptism or anything like that. We're talking about the Israelites were so identified with Moses, they followed him to, well, eventually to the, to the borders of the promised land, not the same generation, of course, because they all perished in the wilderness. But 
they all identified with Moses. And there were, there's at least one occasion where Moses interceded for the Israelites because God said, Moses, step aside, let me destroy this whole group and I'll make a new nation out of you. And Moses said, no, Lord, because the Egyptians will say, you, you brought out your people, but you're not able to save them and they will, they will blaspheme your name. Israel found salvation temporally speaking, through Moses on multiple occasions. Israel was baptized into Moses. This is what uh, he's saying here in Colossians 2. We have been immersed or placed into Christ and our, our union is with him. Isn't that good? That's good news. We're not in union or in league with the devil anymore, right? Ephesians 2 says that we were sons of disobedience, just like everybody else, engaged in foolishness and wickedness and deception. But God, verse 4, but God, rich in mercy, saved us. This is the idea, baptism, immersion with God. But then he says, in which. Now, back in verse 8, I think it was, he had this a similar idea. In, in whom was the idea that was pointing to Christ. But here, in verse 12, this in which is talking about baptism, the, uh, the immersion, the, the union that we have with, with Christ, the, the identity that is now ours in Christ. He says, in that identity, you were also raised up with him, which is good news again. It's not enough to, to have died to uh, sin and buried with it. Well, what else is there? I, I can't just be dead to it and it's gone. What's going to take its place? Remember that illustration Jesus gave about the man who had uh, a demon that left him for whatever reason, went off to various places, and then came back and brought back a bunch of friends. Because why? That man had not been occupied, as it were, or filled with a different spirit. It was empty. It was clean, it was clean in terms of it was swept clean and stuff, but there was no Holy Spirit in there. And so that demon came back with a bunch of his evil buddies. And the, remember what Jesus said, the last state of that man was worse than the first. Well, you can't just put off and put off and put off and put off. You've got to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Put on, find your identity in Christ. We've been raised up with him. It's not enough again to be dead and buried, but raised up. What does this mean? He says, in which you were also in this identity, in your union with Christ. By the way, there is no hope for us apart from Christ. There is no hope apart from what Christ has done. What Christ is doing and will do is another thing, but it's all, it's all one in terms of it's Christ. And for us to say, well, you know, you just need to be a good person or you need to, you know, dress a certain way or you need to homeschool your children or you need to, you know, be out of debt, you know, all Christians should be out of debt. Well, that's, a, if not a secondary, it's a third, fourth, fourth issue. The issue is what do you do with Christ? And not just for unbelievers, what do you do with Christ? What as Christians do you do with Christ? Because so many times when we focus on ourselves in terms of, oh, I'm just a wicked, unrighteous, unholy man, uh, like Paul says in, in Romans 7, who will, you know, wretched man that I am, who will free me from the body of this death? If we only stop there, if that's as far as we go, I'm, poor me, oh, woe is me, I'm just, a, I mean, that's Eeyore kind of thinking, right? Oh, at least, you know, when, I mean, he was a, a negative pessimist. Well, that's a double negative, isn't it? He was really bad in his thinking. He never had a, a positive thought in his life, it seems like. And yet, so many Christians are like that. Why? Because we get our eyes off of Christ. We're, we we focus on ourselves, which we need to focus on our confession. We need to confess our sin. We need to examine ourselves daily, even uh, to see if we're in the faith. We need to test our we test other people's fruit just fine, but test your own fruit. What's coming out of your mouth? What are you thinking about? What do you spend your time and and stuff? 
We need to have Christ in our lives. We need to have him as our orientation, as our hope, as our identity, such that everything we are is not tainted, but influenced and, and permeated with the reality of Christ's glory, of his grace, of his works, of his majesty. It is in him that we have that confidence. When we get our eyes off him, we, like Peter, look at the waves around us, or we look, oh, I'm a person of little faith. Well, you are, but you look to Christ. That's what this passage is talking about, faith. We'll get to that in a moment. But it says, in which you were also raised up with him. You're raised up with Christ. This is not an individual resurrection. God is not you know, raising up individuals. Hey, you, you did good. You're, you, I'm going to kill you in a good way. You're going to be dead to sin. I'm going to bury your body, uh, you know, body of the flesh, and so forth. I'm going to raise you up. No, all that is happening in Christ. It happened in Christ. It's not a one-off. Each person, each Christian has to die. Bury. It is something that Christ has done, and we have this reality to celebrate. Now, he's going to talk about it again in a few different... It, it is both a, a, an established fact, but also something that because of that, you ought to change your life. You ought to walk in newness of life. So there is an ought, there is a, a moral imperative, a command for us to do these different things, but it's all built on what Christ has done. You have been raised up, not by yourself, not with, you know, me, definitely. Paul says, you haven't been raised up with me. I'm raised up with Christ, and y'all are with me. We're in Christ. So many times we can orient our lives around great speakers or orient around your, your mother or your father or, or who you are or your children. Christ is our banner. Christ is the person that we, uh, you know, the God-man who, whom we celebrate and we uh, think about and honor. We have been raised up with him. Now, wait a minute. We were raised up with him. So we didn't raise ourselves. It's not something that by our own effort, by our own ingenuity, by our own force of will or our own good works, we did it. We died. We accomplished that. We buried ourselves. You know, even Moses, when he died, nobody was there to bury him. God did it. God buried him. Somebody has to deal with the body. We can't do it. Ephesians 4 says, you were dead in your transgressions, dead in your trespasses and sins. Wow. But God is the one who, in Christ, made us dead against sin, buried us with Christ, and also raised us up with him. He, God the Father, raised us up with Christ. This is that, uh, the, that double aspect of a spiritual resurrection. We have a new spirit in ourselves. We have been buried with Christ, and we have died with him, and we are made alive together with him. Ephesians 2 says, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, I don't know about y'all, because uh, you're sitting, you're not sitting. This is Crittenden. This isn't heaven, as much as people might say. Um, Kentucky's real nice, but but heaven is a whole lot different. And he says we are seated with, he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. That is a reality, and yet it, it, it's, it's true, and yet it's it's something we look forward to as well. It is something that we anticipate. 
God's promises are sure. They will be accomplished not just a little bit or not just in a, in a, a token way. You know, it's the, it's the thought that counts in terms of gift giving. No. When God says you're going to do this and you're going to have this and you'll be this, he promises it. And he's given us the Holy Spirit as a, as a down payment of an, an earnest money toward the full uh, realization of that real, of that, um, of his promise. So there is that spiritual resurrection that we have already, but there's also that physical resurrection we look forward to as well. And not just uh, resuscitation. I mean, it's not like the body that we put into the grave is the body that's going to come out. No. There is a glorious body, a resurrection body. Romans 8, 29 has this this chain of of salvation. Some people refer to it as, and there are other elements that he doesn't mention here, but he says Romans 8, 29, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified now we're not talking oh we get to become angels no angels are a separate creation angels are different from man mankind is different from angels we don't graduate and become angels we don't get wings on our back as if angels had wings Uh, they fly some of them do uh, anyway, we won't get to that, but he says it's not glorification. Hey, we get, we get promoted to become angels, you know, and no, it, we will be having a glorified body just like Jesus. Whereas Jesus raised three other people, uh, at least recorded in scripture, uh, they had their same body. Lazarus even, he was in the grave for four days. He came back to life and guess what? His body went back into the grave when, when he was called home f- finally, ultimately. It's not that kind of body that Jesus has now. He has a glorified resurrection body. And Romans 8, 29 and 30 says he's the firstborn, the first one to experience this, this bodily resurrection, not to the old bodies that were, that were um, subject to decay and all this, but a resurrection body. Now, Jesus has a special body in that you can still see the marks on his hands and his feet and his side and... Are we going to have the scars that we have? Are we going to have missing limbs? I don't think so. There's no nothing like that. But his marks, what are called the the stigmata or the the well the marks of his of his crucifixion, are pretty famous. I mean, they they change world the history of the world because he died for us. So there's quite good reason for his body to have those marks of of time. I don't think we're going to have that. Romans, or excuse me, First Corinthians 15. You could read the whole chapter and identify. It's not, you put a seed into the ground. You don't expect to have the seed grow and we're going to have seeds. No, you have the fruit and you have, it's different. What you put in the ground is not what you get out. And so what is sown as a, as a physical, actually it says a, um, a sukikos body, a, a soulish body, which is a natural body, a, uh, not a spiritual body. What is sown uh, uh, Tsukikas naturally is what is raised spiritually. Now, not we're going to be spirits in heaven. No, we're going to have a body. We're going to have flesh and bone like Jesus does. And yet, we don't see that yet. We see the spiritual reality of it, but we look forward to it. We, we look forward. We long for that uh, resurrection. Paul says in, at the end of Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, you're all pretty happy about your citizenship in the United States of America. Well, that's that's good, has been good. Uh, we pray they would continue to be good, helpful, beneficial to us and to the world. But 
our ultimate, real, lasting, permanent citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. Not a begrudging, yeah, well, Jesus is coming. I hope it doesn't happen till after whatever. You know, I'd really like to watch the football game tonight, or, you know, really? Or I'd really have to have one last meal on earth. Really? We eagerly long for the appearance of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he going to do when he comes? Those who are alive at the time of his coming, will he will transform the body of our humble state. Now, some of y'all look really good. My wife looks really good. But I tell you what, this is a humble state. Our, our whole situation of, of being, I mean, you, you look at yourself in a mirror long enough, over enough years, you say, what is happening to me? Our, the body of our humble state, he's going to make into conformity with the body of his glory. We're going to be like him. That's the resurrection we're talking about. And how does it work? How does it happen? By his working, through which he's able to even subject all things to himself. We're talking about death. We're talking about decay. We're talking about the effect of the curse. He, Christ, is able to subject everything to himself. He is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. He is God of gods. And 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to describe when everything is subjected to Jesus, even death and hell, then Jesus will take everything and submit it to God the Father so that God would be all in all. There's that wonderful interaction of the triune members of the Godhead that love and celebrate each other, but always honoring God the Father who is over all. And Christ is the one who will bring that physical, that body, bodily resurrection to pass for us who are in Christ. This perspective here and we'll get into this idea of who was the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Because here, the perspective is, um, we were buried with, I'll just remove the pronouns and put the, the proper names in here. We were buried with Christ in baptism. In baptism, you were also raised up with Christ through faith in the working of God the Father, who raised Jesus the Son from the dead. So you see in this this passage, you see God the Father acting, you see God the Son receiving the benefits of the Father's action, and of course us, being in Christ, we receive the benefit of God the Father's action in Him. We receive the benefit of it, how does He say? Through faith. Not through works, not through who's your daddy, who's your parent, who's your mama, where you, what kind of school did you go to, um, are you out of debt, are you driving you know, cash-free or not paid-for vehicles, is your home, it's nothing of that. Do you put your faith in God? Do you put your faith even specifically here in the power or the working of God, the energy that God has to act and do things for his own glory? We receive these things by faith. Now, there are two aspects of faith, and we've seen them in Colossians already. One is the idea of faith being the content of what is believed. We believe certain things about God, certain things about Jesus, certain things about the scriptures, certain things about ourselves. That is the content of faith. Here he's not speaking so much about the content of faith. He's talking about the subjective exercise of belief, of entrusting ourselves to this reality, this, this promise, this statement of God. It, it's, it has content, of course, here in this, in, in this uh, context. It says specifically about the working of God in resurrection, but it's our response to it, how we personalize this truth. It's not enough for us to say, well, isn't this used a uh, human analogy? Isn't it interesting how our physical heart pumps blood all day, every day, 
every day of our natural-born existence. And yet, with all that blood going through it, it has to be fed with arteries, right? It has to have uh, all kind of arteries to supply the blood and veins to draw the blood away from that heart muscle. Wait a minute, it's, it's dealing with blood all the time. Can it just use some of that blood that's, as it's passing through? No, it needs to be supplied in its own way. Isn't it interesting how often times, and this is to our, not just embarrassment, to our chagrin, to our shame, how many of us speak and, and, and you know, know the scriptures, and yet has it really has it really fed us? Are we just pumping it like a heart muscle, pumping it so other people benefit it, from it? Or is it letting, are we letting that word of God richly dwell within us, Colossians 3.16? Are we letting that nourish our souls? In the same way, we can talk about the resurrection. People can talk about Jesus, this, that, and the other thing. But do they embrace it? Do they not just acknowledge it as something that Christ purportedly has done. You know, we have these different uh, evidence, eyewitness testimony, all that. But for me, I don't know if God can really love me. I'm such a sinner. I'm just, well, excuse me. If you're in Christ, that old man is dead and buried. Your payment, your your fine has been paid through Christ. We'll see these in the next few verses. Uh, the, the, that uh, decree, the decrees were hostile toward us, been canceled in Christ. For us then to honor, believe Christ is to say, Christ's death is my death. Christ's burial is my burial. Christ's resurrection is my resurrection. I don't need to question my salvation anymore. I don't know if God is going to accept me. Now, we can examine ourselves, but not for the purpose of saying, oh, I, I, I don't know if I did it right. I don't know if I said the, the prayer in the right. I don't know if I was earnest enough. I don't know. Get your eyes off yourself. Attach yourself to Christ. Look to him. Run to him for wisdom, for help, for for comfort. He is near to the brokenhearted. He is the one who, you can't handle this yourself. Let me handle it for you. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you'll find rest for your souls. Look to Christ. Now, we confess our sin. We do all these things. But if our confession of sin draws us farther away from Christ, because I don't think Jesus can love me anymore because I'm such a bad sinner, then we're not focused on Christ. We're focused more on ourselves, what we have done or what we haven't done. And no, our faith rests in Christ alone, in him, in his uh, promises, in his person and in his work. We have been raised up with Jesus through faith. Now, our faith here, what we're trusting in, our, our personal response to God's action, his faith in His in the working of God, Specifically, what I mean, God is at work all the time. Jesus said, my father works and I work. Even on the Sabbath day, Jesus? Yes, even on the Sabbath day, because the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And that's shocking words in the first century Jewish culture. My father works and I work. God is at work all the time. But here he's specifically, Paul is, specifically talking about the work of God or the 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 functional energy, the the, the intentional use of energy to raise Jesus from the dead. And you think, why does he, what's, well, he's talking about resurrection, of course, in this context, but why does he focus on that so much? Because in the resurrection is one of those times, one of those works where God's power is made just on display. It's just, have you ever looked at, at anybody and you say, hey, can you raise the dead? Have you ever done that? If, if for so many people in our day and age who say, I, you know, I can, you know, God is still working miracles in and through me. I can command sickness. I can command uh, disease. I can command demons. I can command death even. 
well, why aren't you out? Why don't why don't you go to all the hospitals and empty all the rooms if you have such wonderful skill? Why don't you go to the funeral homes and raise the dead? Why do we why do we have this? If if you have that gift, what, why aren't you using it? And that way, well, God Himself, He can heal. He can. Dis, uh, um, bring uh, restoration of, of health and, and restoration of life even. We don't have that authority, that power, that, that control anymore. It differentiates, differentiates us from God. God himself has that power. He is the one who raised uh, Jesus from the dead. He has that working. Uh, he works in various other ways. I won't look at all those times now, but his power and resurrection. Do you remember when when God was speaking to Ezekiel back in Ezekiel 37, and he was in the valley of dry bones, and God asked him, hey, son of man, can these bones live? Now, Ezekiel had more presence of mind than I probably would have at the time. I said, I don't, I don't know. He said, Lord, you know, O Lord God, O Lord Yahweh, you know about this. And what did God do? Those dry bones lived, and they became a great army. God has power in a resurrection. Do you know when the Sadducees, who believed there was no resurrection, right? The Sadducees, that's why we're this, they were Sadducees. That's kind of a lame joke. But anyway, they, uh, the Sadducees asked that question about the, the woman who was married to a guy, and he died, and the brother married, and then he died, and all these seven brothers, and then died, had her as wife and died without bringing any children, and then she died, which I always say, no wonder she died. My seven guys. Anyway, and uh, they said, well, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus said, uh, you are mistaken about the resurrection and not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. The power of God displayed in resurrection. You think there's no resurrection. You think this is it. Uh, once and done kind of thing. Uh, we, uh, you only live once idea. No, there is a resurrection to life or a resurrection to to death. Uh, Jesus said in that context, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Wow. God himself has that power of resurrection. Ephesians 1, a similar uh, passage as in Colossians 2, we trust, we rest in the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of the might of his strength. What, what did he do with that might of his strength? Which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And we already looked at that passage in Philippians 3, verse 21. By his working, here the same idea, uh, the working of God, by his working through which Jesus is able to even to subject all things to himself. He's able to raise us up with him. And one last passage, if you wanted a confirmation, Hebrews 11, when Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loved, uh, on that altar or on the mountain of which God would show him, then Abraham had the idea that, well, uh, God must be able to raise people even from the dead. He told me to kill Isaac, and yet through Isaac are all my descendants, all my families to be named. So somehow, if I'm going to kill this guy, God's going to have to raise him up so he'll be the father of a multitude. And from which the writer of the Hebrews says, from which figuratively Abraham did receive Isaac back from the dead because God provided, what did he provide? A substitute, a ram to die in the place of Isaac. Well, notice whose working it is. It's not our working. It's not the working of any church leader or any religious leader. It's the working of God. 
He is able to bring life from the dead. He is the one who is able to uh, raise us up with Christ himself. Now, he uses this idea of dead. There's another word, death, that is used other, other places as well. God raises up from the dead. He, he raises up from death. He resuscitates, or not just resuscitates. He gives us a, a glorified body in, in Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 says, Since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. All those who are in Christ are made alive. All those who are outside of Christ will also be made alive, but to a, a an eternity of death and separation from God. And then it goes on, of course, in that in that passage. It says the last enemy to be abolished is death. We have that already. We, we have been raised up with Christ, and yet we look forward to that full expression of it, when that last enemy to be abolished is death, and that we no, need no longer be concerned about that, because death and Hades have been taken and thrown in the lake of fire. They've been judged along with everybody else who refused the Lord. And Revelation 21 also speaks about that, that wonderful uh, reality of, of the resurrection. Now, one last question to consider is, who is it that raised Jesus from the dead? Because if you were to look at uh, the this passage, it says here, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, which, which truly most of Scripture uh, affirms the reality or the, the, the practice that God the Father was the one active in raising Jesus from the dead. Actually, most of the times it's spoken of, in the New Testament anyway, when Jesus speaks of or is spoken about being raised, it's in, the, in a passive voice. He has been raised from the dead, as opposed to he raised himself from the dead, or he is uh, somehow the, the agent of his resurrection. Now, there's an, a, another aspect we'll look at with that, but most of the time it's, it's spoken of in a passive voice, he has been raised, or um, uh, he is risen from the dead, or, or ideas like that. Even the angels at the tomb said, he's not here, but he has risen, and a passive idea. He received the resurrection from the dead. But after those times, most of the agent spoken about in Scripture, in terms of who raised Jesus from the dead, is God the Father. Uh, so many times in the preaching of the of the gospel in Acts, even at the very beginning in Pentecost, Acts 2.24, God the Father raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for Jesus to be held in its power. So God the Father is active in it. Uh, a little bit later, Peter preaching, you put to death the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And it goes on and on. God raised him up on the third day. God raised him from the dead. Um, uh, yeah, just... 20-some-odd times, it speaks about God the Father raising, or having raised the Son. And, of course, I th here it says that God, the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. But it's also spoken that Jesus had the authority on earth to, not just to forgive sins, but to uh, uh, pick up or, or um, re receive his own life, his own eternal, eternal life. Uh, it says here, in Luke 16. Now, this is kind of, you have to follow it a little bit, but he says in that passage about uh, the rich man and Lazarus, whether it's a parable or a true story, I don't know, but the point is, verse 31 says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Well, who's, who's the one that's rising? What's, it's the one, and he evidently has the authority to ri raise himself from the dead. 
uh, in that passage you can look at, Luke 16. Um, Jesus said at the beginning of John's gospel, destroy this sanctuary and in three days I will raise it up. Now he wasn't talking about the temple. He wasn't talking about the holy place or the holy of holies. He was talking about his body, which the disciples, nobody understood what he was talking about until after he was raised. But he says, destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up. Uh, elsewhere, he speaks about this, and this is probably the, the principal passage that we think about, and we think, who is it that raised Jesus from the dead? Rome, excuse me, John 10 says, For this reason the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life, so that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but from myself I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from the Father. Christ has the authority, which is an amazing thing. We don't have that kind of authority, you know, is, is both making a, a deposit into a chicken and then re retrieving that deposit, right, and spending on something. Jesus has that authority to lay down his life, and he does it willingly. You know, throughout history, the Christian church has been not right in placing the blame of the death of Messiah on the Jewish people. They rejected the Messiah, yes, but his, his blood is not, his blood guilt is not on those people, it's not on the Romans. I mean, the Romans, how many, three times, six times, I forget how many now, Pontius Pilate declared, this man is innocent. He's not worthy of death. There's nothing. I defy no fault in this guy. Why should I kill him? And the intrigue goes on. You can go about it. Go about it. If, if anything, we go back to Isaiah 53 and says it was God's will that God himself would crush him. Thank God, why would you do that? Because God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. That's what it is. God sent his son to die in our place. Jesus says, no one takes my life. I give it willingly. I have authority to lay it down and to take it back up. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, and it goes on to describe other aspects of, of the, the livingness. Christ is a living Savior. Even in uh, Revelation 1, we see Jesus, the resurrected, glorified Lord of Lords. He said to John, do not fear. I am the first and the last, and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. There is a sense in which, yes, God the Father raised Jesus from the grave. There is a sense in which God himself, God the Son, raised himself from the grave. There's also the work of the Holy Spirit. Just briefly, Romans 1 says, Jesus, the son, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, who was designated or vindicated as the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The spirit is active in the resurrection of Jesus. The uh, uh, rather brief statement in 1 Timothy 3.16 says Jesus was vindicated or or proved right, you know, stamped, you know, listen to this, you know, get the, the grade A top drawer blue ribbon um, award because he was proven to be who he said he was. He was vindicated in the Spirit. And the Spirit himself was there proving that Jesus is alive. And then 1 Peter 3.18 also, and this, in your translation, it could be Differently understood, I suppose, uh, different ways. It says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring you to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The question is, is spirit 
the human spirit or the Holy Spirit. It should be a capital S or a lowercase s. I'll leave that for now, just to say that Christ himself is our resurrection, and the God, the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are active in raising him from the grave. And they are active in raising us from the grave. The whole Godhead is active in saving people, sanctifying people, glorifying people. So our attention ought to be focused on what God has done. We, Our faith is in the working of God. He raised Jesus from the tomb, from the grave, and he has raised me, and he will raise me. It's an already what is true, but also something I look forward to earnestly expecting and asking God, God, send Jesus, the Son, send him to earth, that he would restore all things, that he would bring times of refreshing, that he would subject everything to himself. We don't see everything subjected right yet. There's so much hostility and, and uh, rebellion against God, and that's just me. In the church, there's rebellion, not listening to God, not honoring his word, and in the world, of course. I mean, what would you expect the world to be doing except sinning and rebelling against God? But we look to Christ. He is our only hope, our only confidence and expectation of resurrection. Look to him. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the truth of your word that is real. It is real from the beginning, and we can put our whole faith into it. We pray that you would help us to give attention to Christ, that we would celebrate him as our death and burial and a resurrection. Our whole life is consumed in him. Please help us to sanctify him. Please help us to be set apart. Please help us to be sanctified, that we, having died to sin, how should we still live in it? How should we still continue in those things of which we're now ashamed? Please help us to walk in newness of life. Please help us to walk holy before you. You require perfection. You know, be holy just as I am holy. Be perfect as I am perfect. Well, we can do it ourselves, but you've already given us what we need, and that is union with Christ. He, as our elder brother, has accomplished all these good things, and we just hang on to him, and we have an acceptance. We are accepted in the beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Please help us to share this message of hope and of comfort and of glory as we are able to our family, friends, neighbors, etc. But most of all, or more, more primarily to ourselves, that we would not be deceived or, or led captive or taken captive away from devotion to Christ. Please help us to celebrate him, acknowledging our need of you all the time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>